0: It's our privilege to make these messages available to you. We pray that the Word of God will richly bless you. Well, let's get right into the Word, knowing that God will speak into our lives today.
1: I'll drop us to uh, glory to God, hallelujah. That was good worship. You know, uh, I like it because it wasn't just a concert. And, uh, and I like it because the songs were easy to sing. And uh they were good, too. I better shut up. I'm sounding like an old dude, aren't I? <laughs> worship is not a concert. Worship is, is connecting with God. And yes. Amen. Let's worship him a little more. Could we lift your hands up? Lord, we love you tonight. These people in this church know how to worship you. I can tell. And so, Lord, we just do that now. We thank you for helping us tonight. We thank you for the Holy Spirit for guiding and leading us. We really need you to talk to us, Lord, where our hearts are open. And I'm just praying, I'm asking you that uh, you'll help people tonight. Help them in their marriage. Help them in some core things. Maybe they'll, they will uh, hear something tonight, I'm praying, that will set them on a brand new course. I also see young people here tonight. I thank you, Lord, that they're going to hear truths tonight that will be foundational for them as they believe God for the, the right one for their future. Lord, we just thank you. This is so very important, and we give you praise for this wonderful church, for Pastor Rusty, all you've called him to do. I just sense in my spirit there's some wonderful things coming in the days ahead. They're going to be a testimony that God is in you of a truth. Amen. It's a good day for the church. It's a dark day for the world. But when it gets dark in the world, we're the church. We're the light of the world. We're going to shine bright, right? And... uh we're honored to be with you tonight. Uh, I'll just mention a couple more products. Tonight, Trudy and I, I normally have her come up and talk, and this morning I, I just got, got to preaching. And I didn't do it. We're going to hear her tonight. Uh, we're going to kind of tag team. Uh, and this morning, uh, we sold out just about all of our marriage stuff, and, and that's ironic because we're talking about marriage tonight. You can go online at our ministry uh, website, Ken at com. You can find our app. Uh, The app is just Ken Blunt Ministries, right? And you can download our app. And we do have some uh, free podcasts and some things like that. You can also order some of our product. I apologize we didn't bring more stuff. Uh, If I would have known you were that zealous to buy stuff, I would have brought a lot of stuff. Uh, But I'll I'll tell you about a couple of things we've got that are good. This one's called Pure Man. And uh, this is a teaching two CD set that my son and I did together. Uh, My son's in the ministry. And we talk about men's issues. We talk about eight different things it takes to be a pure man in our society. Uh, eight different points. Uh, and they all begin with a P. talk about passion. We talk about pornography, which is a scourge in our age. And it's taken so many men down, taken so many Christian men down, because it is so subtle, but it's so insidious and addictive, and and it just... You know, it gets a stronghold in your life. But we talk about, in fact, my son talks about how he got free from some of these things very openly, very honestly. The application of the word. We talk about how to be accountable. Uh, We talk about some things that you need to do to get free. And one of the things, and this is hard for men to do, but one of the best things you can do, one of the foundational things you can do to get free of this, talk to your wife about it. And we talk about some things. And we talk, uh, we, we talk on this uh, series not only from my age perspective but also from a young person's perspective. And this is like one of the best sellers in our ministry, Pure Man. I encourage you to get this. And then this one is one we did at the beginning of the year, Grandparent Plus. And we talk about how-tos for being grand. Uh, being a grandparent, you know, it's a wonderful thing. But you have to understand there are lines that you have as a grandparent that when your kids leave home, the Bible said you're to leave your father and mother and cleave to your wife. And that plagues so many people. They don't have a good relationship with their kids because they just try to butt in too much, you know? And, uh, and, and we talk about the difference in interference and intervention. We're living in a time when so many grandparents are raising their grandchildren uh, because of, you know, drug addiction and things like that going on with their kids. And there is a time because of your, your bloodline, that you can inter, intervene uh, to rescue uh, your kid, son or daughter, that's married and they're just having severe problems. And we talk about some boundaries on that. So uh, the, we've got these two things out there: our kids' music. Uh, you guys brought a lot of stuff, a lot of things this morning. Our kids' music is one of the things we're proudest of. We spend a lot of time and effort on this because uh, we do it right. You could tell from that song this morning. We do it first class. We use good singers. We've got a, uh, a lot of really good young people in Tulsa that sing and uh, spend a lot of money on doing this. So we've also got a brochure back there called uh, that, that is about our music project, and we've got people that give in, and that's called the Echo Project. You'd like to pick this up and check it out, uh, and uh, it'll just tell you about some things that we do. So uh, tonight, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the uh, 11th Psalm, and we're going to talk about marriage. As I travel around the country, talk to pastors, and we're in a different church just about every weekend, here are the things that I hear. Pastor, what are, what are your greatest challenges that, you, the challenges that you're having in your church right now? Uh, what, what are your number, uh, what are your top counseling projects that you have to deal with people? And um, invariably, it always comes down to this. Marriage is number one. money's number two. Training kids is number three. And then, you know, there's healing and different things like that. But this is like the top three. But marriage is like number one. And here's the deal. The devil, I think I said it this morning, I'll say it again. Marriage is so important and so vital to produce ongoing generations. It's the foundation of the church. And that's why the devil attacks it. See, the devil, I said this one time, and I I, I say it a lot, and you might want to write this down. The devil attacks what he fears. The devil attacks what he fears. And, and he fears you getting your house in order. He fears you working on your marriage because good marriages don't just happen. They have to be built. And Psalm 11 verse 3 says, If the foundations be destroyed, because foundation is really, uh, marriage is the foundation of all life. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Not can the world do, what can the righteous do? So the enemy is going to come against you in your house. And you have to understand, when it comes to uh, men and women, you know, I, the first time I saw Trudy, uh, I, she was young, and I was very young. I was I a was, uh, ninth grader. And we grew up in a little bitty town out in the Texas panhandle called Cress, K-R-E-S-S. How many have ever heard of Cress? Yep, it's a hole in the ground now. Uh, not much to it. The, the interstate bypassed it, and it's drying up. It's kind of doing pretty good when we were kids. But anyway, 800 people in the town big town, right? But she's in junior high. She's in the seventh grade. I'm in the ninth grade. And well, when I was a ninth grader, my dad uh, was very gracious and he bought me a car, a 63 Ford Galaxy 500. Now, the irony of this is this car, I don't know, you probably don't know this 63 Ford Galaxy 500 four door was humongous. It was huge. I mean, you could have lived in the back seat of that car. My dad got a really good deal on it. I remember he bought it from a, a, an older couple, and it only had nineteen, I think 19,000 miles on it. So it was, a, it was a sweet little car. It had a 390. It ran pretty good, but it didn't look like a kid's car. It looked like an old dude's car. You know what I mean? And, and, and once again, the irony of that was I was not a big guy. I mean, I'm not now, but back then I was about this tall, weighed about 111 pounds. And to, to drive that car, you know, I'm so short I had to look between the steering wheel and the dashboard in the little... (laughs) So you see me driving around in the car in town, it looked like nobody was driving the car. So I just want to paint a picture of where I was. And uh, so I'm in the ninth grade, Trudy's in the seventh grade. We were going on a school trip, a choir trip uh, one day in the springtime. and, uh, and, And so I've got my car, I'm sitting there with my buddy, and kids are getting on the school bus. And the junior high and the high school were going... And choir in a lot of schools I know was not very cool, but in ours it was. We had an award-winning choir, and we'd won all of these competitions. So it was really cool. You were in the cool crowd if you are in, in the choir. So uh, I'm sitting there. Of course, I was very cool. And uh, kids are getting on the bus, and I'm, I'm kind of talking to my buddy. And I glance over, and I see just from the back this girl getting on the bus. But I've never seen her before. But a blonde, had on yellow shorts, yellow top. I'll never forget it. It's springtime. And, and I, I'd never seen her before. And she caught my attention. And I turned to my buddy. I said, who is that? Because I really liked what I saw from the back. You know what I mean? <laughs> and he told me who she was. I'd never seen her before. She's was in seventh grade. And so I made a mental note to myself. Note to self, sometime today, see what that girl looks like from the front. <laughs> and I saw the front, and I liked the front equally as well, if not better than the back. I like the package, but i got to tell you, it was not a spiritual attraction. It was just a physical attraction, you know. And, uh, and, and, and that's part of it, okay? That's part of marriage. That's a, that's a very important part of marriage. You have to work to maintain that. And God blesses that in marriage, right? But marriage is more than just that physical attraction. And, and I, I mentioned this a little bit this morning. Trudy and I were, were very much in love, but we just didn't know how to get along. We didn't know how men and women are so different. And uh, so with that, flip over now to the book of Genesis. We're talking about the foundations. And book, uh, excuse me, Genesis is the foundational book of the Bible. You understand that? And there are truths like even some like encoded truths, great truths about marriage in this book of Genesis we're going to talk about tonight. Some of these things are in the language, but they just point to how men and women are and how we, when we learn to honor each other as a man and as a woman, learn how to each other's tick, ticks and learn how to honor the way men and women are, it'll take our marriage to a brand new level. All right? Because here's the big three things that get you in marriage. They are number one, communication. Number two, sex. Not handling that properly. And number three, communication, sex, and money. Now we won't get into money tonight, but we are going to deal with these other two. So the book of Genesis, look in Genesis chapter two, verse seven. Now you know In uh, Genesis chapter 1, God creates the world, right? He gets everything ready, and then he he makes this declaration. He said he created men and women in his own image, I'm paraphrasing. In the image of God created he them, and he created them to have dominion and to dominate and live a wonderful, victorious life in this place called the Garden of Eden, right? So God makes that declaration, but then he begins to walk it out in Genesis 2. And let's read in verse 7, Genesis 2, 7, uh, and it says this, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now, God has said, I'm going to make a man and a woman, and they're going to dominate. Then they're going to produce children that are going to dominate. That's the will of God. But this is how he chose to do it. He didn't put them both on the earth at the same time. In fact, he, you know, he could have done, created man and woman at the same time, right? Or he could have created 10 people or 20 or 100 or a billion. We learned this week in the conference there's over 7 billion. We've, we've, we've passed the 7 billion mark in population on planet Earth. Isn't that amazing? So many people living on there. And God could have made a bunch of people at the same time, but he created the one. Why did he do that? Because he wanted to stamp on society the importance of the individual. And how God loves them all? But God loves the one. Isn't that cool the way he does that? In fact, he made us all, men and women, every individual is made differently. There is nobody quite like you. You think about it. You have fingerprints. Out of all 7.2 billion people they say are on earth, you have fingerprints that are unique. Nobody has your fingerprints. Do you know you also have a unique voice print? There's nobody that has your voice print. I think that's so cool. Because we, you know, we came in tonight, we prayed. We, how do you pray? You lift your voice to God. Now, he heard us all, but he heard us individually pray. Isn't that awesome? And you have to, you know, you have to understand life is built on respecting people and their individuality. Because there's nobody, you know, I, I, I've been told before that I look like, you ever been told you look like somebody? One, one time a guy told me, more than once, I, I've been told I look like an actor named James Conn. You know who that is? You no, know, he was in Elf. He was the dad. Long time ago, he was in Godfather. He was Sonny, okay? All right, you, you got James Conn. He's getting kind of old looking now, so, which I guess I am too. But anyway, and then one day I was in a store in Iowa last winter, and I'm walking down the aisle, and this guy just, I, I, I'm just walking, and it's real cold too. We were in Iowa, remember that? And, and this guy stops me and says, oh, my goodness, you're, you're, you're that actor guy. And I said, he scared me. I said, what? He said, you know that Nicholson? I said, Jack Nicholson? He said, yes, you look like Jack Nicholson. I said, oh, my Lord, and I ran off from that guy. <laughs> Didn't even want to witness to him he made me some man. No. just. And then I've been told I, that I sound like Johnny Cash. Oh. Now, I think that's pretty cool. I like Johnny Cash. He's in heaven now. But, but you know something? I'm not James Caan. I'm not Jack Nicholson. Thank God. I'm not Johnny Cash. I'm me. And you have to learn to love you the way you are, the way God made you. You know, there's a lot of self-loathing in our society right now. You have to realize you are a gift of God. God puts you here just like you are. So God did that. He, put, he, he stamped on a society or on the world the importance of the individual. But also, he made the man first because he's saying that men are, are designed to lead the marriage. now not to just boss the marriage, but to lead the marriage. And then in this first, you know, this this verse here said he was created from the dust of the ground, the dust of the ground. Man came from dirt. Now, we're going to read later on that woman, whenever she was created, God didn't do the same thing. Man came from the dirt, but woman came from the man. Interesting. Now, see, right there we see that there's, there's going to be some difference in the way men think. Because men, it's like this. Men, it's like the dirt calls out to them to come back. Not that women... Don't like to do this, but men have this deal. they got to go hunting and go outside, and, and, not, and women can like that too. But, you know, that's the, the call of the earth back. Men go, i got to get outside and get dirty. And see, women, they didn't come from dirt. That's why they don't like you bringing dirt in their house. We did, I was telling Pastor, uh, last spring in May, we, uh, we did our second one of these. We did a men's meeting out in Raton, New Mexico, which is just south of the Colorado border. Northern New Mexico, and we did it at the Whittington Gun Range. Now, see, men's meetings you do you do men things in men places, but women's meetings I've learned women's, uh, Trudy's done women's meetings they're not the same. They don't go to gun ranges. <laughs> women want a real nice hotel, or they want the church really decorated, real foo foo, <laughs> with tables and candles and smells and you know. And then they get together, and, and here's what I learned about women too: they like to preach forever. Like they'll come in early in the morning and they'll have a little, they'll have some quiche. And, and then they'll, they'll have services and they'll go to and they'll have a little lunch break with little watercress sandwiches. And then they'll go all evening, and they just go forever and ever. And that's women. And they like to cry. And have you ever noticed how women, they'll get at a table and they'll just all talk yeah. at the same time. I mean, have you ever noticed that? Now men aren't like that. Because men's meetings, we'll have men at a table, but I've noticed this about men. In fact, my wife, I'm preaching some of her stuff. But when men talk, we take turns and we listen to each other. It's a phenomenal thing. I'm going to get on Trudy stuff here. But, but see, that that's just the difference in the way we think. Uh, men's meeting, uh, here's where our men's meeting went. We came in on a Monday. I had guys come from six different churches. We had a church from Alabama, Louisiana uh texas oklahoma colorado anyway it, it was cool we had guys coming pastor mark's church came uh from tulsa and uh, we got in that night we got up the next morning we had breakfast and then we had a meeting and then we had lunch break and we're in a building that's like a 10 building but we had real cool cool music and we worship god and those men sang great too it was awesome but then we we gave them some space that afternoon to go play and have fun And this gun range we were at was one of the premier gun ranges in America. So all kinds of targets, skeet, trap, you know, really cool place to be, beautiful mountains in the background. And then we came in, and and that night we had another meet. But then the next day, we don't have any meetings till that afternoon. And then at 5 o'clock, we went fishing in the mountains. We shot guns. Guys brought all kinds of guns, man. I mean, I'm firing all there, saying, Brother Ken, you got to try this gun. Okay. Bam, 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 an AR. I'm just shooting guns, and I don't even know how to do it. I, but I, I felt like a man. And, uh, but then that night, we had our, our food event, and it's called All the Meat You Can Eat Night. We had burgers, brisket. We had hot dogs, sausage, anything that was meat, we had it, man. And those guys stuffed, and then we had one more service. And we love God. But we just like to do men things. See, we're different. And, that, and, and God knew that. That's why he created, created the man. Now, jump down to Genesis uh, 2.18. We're talking about foundational things, men and women. Uh, now, here's the man. Okay, some time passes. Adam's in the garden. He's got a job. He's got a cool job. He's, uh, a, he's, a, he's an agriculture in the garden. He's got, uh, I can't imagine how the Garden of Eden was, but it had to be perfect, right? Perfect weather, uh, you know, beautiful scenery all around him, animals now. He's got animals around him with men like dogs and stuff like that, you know. Uh, he, he, he's all by himself. He's serving God. He's got total control of the remote. Doesn't have to share it with anybody. It's just a wonderful. But God, look at what God says about this in verse 15. Verse uh, 15. Verse 18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that this man is alone. Huh, interesting. For the first time, God has created something, and he says, God says, this is not good. Now, up to that time, everything he made was good. Day one, day two, day three, right? They're all good. God made it, and then he declared it is good, because God's good. When God's involved in your life, good things will happen. But now, for the first time, he says, it's not good that this man is alone. Look what he says. How's he going to solve this problem? I will make him an help meet for him, says in the King James. Help meet. Now, I've even heard preachers say help mate, but that's not really true. Help mate kind of gives the, the, the idea that this is just kind of his little helper that tags along. Help mate. No, it's a help meet. Now, here's what this word means in the Hebrew. We're talking about secrets in the Garden of Eden about marriage. Okay, help meet. You ready? Help meet actually means a helper opposite. Help is Ezer, uh, which means where we get the word Ezra, the, the book of the Bible called Ezra. That's where the Ezer, that next word, neged, but it means helper opposite. Or you could say it this way, helper against. Helper against, really? Or here's another real good way to say it. A helper with a different opinion and perspective. Oh, yeah. We're preaching now. You with me? A helper with a different opinion and perspective. Now, here's the long, plowed-out Hebrew definition of this word, okay? And this will help you. You might want to write this down. I'll say it a couple of times. Actually, in in long, plowed-out definition, this word help meet means the strong military ally that sees the enemy. Let me say it again. The strong, not weak, strong. Yes, woman is the weaker vessel physically maybe, but not necessarily mentally and not spiritually either. Strong military ally. Why do you need a military ally? Because you are in a war. You know what took Adam and Eve down? They didn't realize they were in a war. God tried to warn them. He said, you keep this garden. You you know, actually, the term Garden of Eden, here's what it means. It means the hedge of eternal life. Hedge of eternal life. You know what God's saying is? I'm going to put you in eternal life. You're going to have this great life. But there's a hedge. And he told Adam, he said, you are to watch this and keep that hedge up. And the fall happened because Adam let the hedge down. He should have been standing there when that serpent came and kicked his rear end out. He said, you get away from my wife and me. You do not belong here. He crossed the hedge. Now, see, we lost that authority that day, but Jesus brought it back. But you still have to enforce your hedge. And the enemy's going to try to get in your house. And you have to be adamant. Strong, back to our definition, strong military ally. See, when you're in a war, we're in a war. In America, we are in a war right now. For your life, for your family, for your marriage. The strong military ally that sees the enemy. What does that mean? Women see things that men just don't see. And that, with that, I want you to give my wife a hand, and she explains that to us, all right? Yeah. Did I set you up, babe? Yes, she did. Okay.
2: <laughs> Praise God. Uh, before I start, I want to say a couple of things about marriage. Um, I, I love to study marriages of older, older Christians that have done it for a whole long time, like uh, uh, Ruth Graham and Billy Graham people like that of course now I'm getting to the age where I'm not too far away from where they were but uh there was a couple of things I heard them say one time they when they had been married about 54 years uh someone asked them they said what is the secret to your marriage and two things they said they said if you both agree on everything one of you is unnecessary (laughs) and we are happily incompatible Which shows you what we're talking about. God knew exactly what he was doing when he made us different. He knew that Adam, a man alone, was not a good thing. He needed somebody to help him and show him a different perspective. And I think it's funny, too, because I even see this in my grandson. Men are are real bad about thinking they can do it alone, though. You know, I'm a man. I can do this. My little grandson, he's so cute. He's, he's six now. And I remember when he was learning to tie his shoe. And he'd just struggle with that. And I'd say, well, Nana, we'll help you tie your shoe. No, I can do it myself. You know, I thought, whoa, here we go. The manhood deal's already arising here. And that's good because God put in man a passion to do things, to build and to, to create and to uh, have vision to lead your family. You want your man to be like that. You want them to want to go shoot guns and eat a lot of meat and all that kind of stuff, you know. But God knew what he was doing when he created us different. So I want you to go back to the word, and I'm going to show you some interesting things. Go to uh, Genesis. We're going to stay in Genesis uh, chapter 2 and go to verse 21. And I'm going to read some scriptures out of the Amplified. And I'm going to explain in a little more detail what Ken was talking about. The strong military ally that sees the enemy, and I'm going to show you in the word some things that I learned from the Hebrew that is really cool, and it'll help you understand women. So let's go to verse 21, and it says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and while he slept, this I'm reading from Amplified, he took one of his ribs, or part of his side, and closed up the place with flesh. Now I want to point out, Something that's really cool there, and when you study about marriage, uh, this chapter aligns so well with Ephesians, the chapter on Ephesians, and uh, how Christ loved the church. And when you begin to understand how much Christ loved the church, you begin to understand as a man how you 're to love your wife and And one of the things I want to point out here is his, while he slept, he took one of his ribs or part of his side and closed up the flesh. Adam had to take have a wound to get his bride. He had to sacrifice. He had to pay a price to get her. And when I and when you see that in the scripture, you see that Jesus paid a price to get his bride. He took a wound in the side. And then, uh, also, talking about the rib here, uh, one of the things that I learned about. I love to study the Jewish marriage ceremonies and one of the thing i one of the things i learned about the jewish marriage ceremony is that uh the word bride means all in hebrew or complete so when god took the side out of adam he was incomplete until she was brought back to him as his bride because the two together makes a complete whole does that make sense And God made you different so that you would need the other one to be whole. And uh, the word here, let's go back to that scripture. It says, he took one of his ribs or a part of his side and closed up the, the, the place with flesh. And then let's go to verse 22. And the rib or the side which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her to the man. Now, this is, this is really interesting, but the word rib there, or side, in the Hebrew, is the word, um, it's pronounced tesala. And the root to that word means, for rib, which really, you know, you've got to understand, it wasn't just a little insignificant bone that, that God took out of, of Adam. Because, you know, one rib, you can live without a rib. You can't live without a side. So it was much more significant. But what the word rib there means in Hebrew is for advice. Or it alludes to wisdom. And when you study the scripture, did you know a lot of wives uh, were found by a well? And wells always represent wisdom or the Holy Spirit. And, And a lot of the attributes of a good wife are the same attributes as the Holy Spirit. And you think about it, they're comforters, they're helpers, they're advocates, they're counselors, they're intercessors, they're strengtheners, and they're standbys. So many of those attributes, you know, one time my son asked me, he said, if God's the father and Jesus is the son, who's the mother? You know how little kids will ask questions? And I thought about that one day, I thought, huh. But then when I began to think about the attributes of the Holy Spirit, so many of the attributes of the Holy Spirit are in women or in wives that they bring to their husbands. And so one of the great things that, that the rib represented was uh, wisdom or a good advisor. And the reason women are good advisors is because God equipped them with a different kind of equipment in their brain to see and know things that men don't know. Women think more out of both sides of the brain when they, when they uh, talk or process or anything. Men think more out of one side of the brain, the logical side. That's because they're the visionary. That's, that's because uh, they want facts. They don't want a lot of detail. They just want, you know, to know what's going on. You know, and, and, and I've told people this in marriage, a little communication tidbit. When you tell a man a problem he immediately, his brain goes into what they call action mode. And he immediately begins to, to think, okay, how can I fix this for her? And sometimes they say they'll quit listening to you before you're finished telling them the problem because you go into fixer mode. But one of the things women do, though, you've got to understand, women, when they talk to you and tell you their problems, it causes their brain to relax and de-stress. So I've told couples... If, if, if your wife if wives, if you go to your husband and you really don't want him to fix it, you just want to have a date and you just want him to listen for a while, then just tell him right up front, don't go into this action mode thing, don't try to fix this, I just need somebody to talk to right now, and then women will do this, they'll just start to tell you what's going on and then... They'll begin to cry and purge, and, and all this stuff comes out. And, and the guy's sitting there thinking, What can I do? How can I help her? And then she takes a big sniff, wipes her nose, and goes, oh, I feel so much better. And the guy's going, Woo. woo. <laughs> but that's just a good communication skill. And sometimes, you know, guys, women just need for you just to listen. That's all. They just want to bear their heart to you and talk to you about things. And, but then if you want him to fix it, say, this is a problem, and I need you to help me fix this, you know. So that's just a little tidbit I threw in there. Let me go back to my notes. There's my beautiful grandbaby looking at me right now. Um, and then verse 22. Let's let's take it a little further again. And the rib or the side which the Lord God had taken from man made, or the word there is built, built he a woman and brought her to the man. And the word once again there, built, means... Uh, Bana or wisdom, or the ability to read between the lines. And, you know, you've heard probably all your life about women's intuition. They really do have a sensitivity about spiritual things. They really do. God gave them that. To pick up on things, to see things that men don't see. And these are some of the physiological things. Um, Women are just great at... Well, let me read Psalm 127 to you, and then I'll get into this other aspect. They're full of wisdom, but they're great watchers. Uh, psalm 127 one says, If the Lord will not build the house, its builders labor on it vainly. If the Lord will not guard the city, the watchman is vigilant in vain. Now, one, I've studied this, and, and, and the Jews believe that this psalm is a family psalm. And they believe that the builder, it says, if the the Lord will not build the house, the builder labors in vain. That's the husband. Because men are builders. But if the Lord will not guard the city, the watchman, that's the wife, is vigilant in vain. So some of the aspects of a woman are they're great watchers. They're very good watchers. They see things. And let me give you some reasons. Like I said, women are great multitaskers. They have a great ability to think out of both sides of the brain. That's why when they sit at a table, like Ken said, and they're all talking, it's because they can hear more than one conversation at a time. I mean, it's amazing, but women are like that. Guys can't do that. You know, it's like Ken. If we're in the car and there's two couples, he wants everybody to take their turn talking. But if the women are in the back seat, that's not going to happen. You know, they're talking back and forth and and uh and I can be listening to the men too and what they're saying and chime in once in a while with them. And uh and he'll I can tell he's going, "I can't think. I can't I can't focus. I need somebody to be quiet so we can all just listen." But that's how women are. They can uh I love it like they can you know, stir spaghetti, talk on the phone, put on mascara, have all the kids around them hear everything they're saying and know what's going on at all times. <laughs> they're, they're just awesome in that respect because God made them. Why is that? They take care of the home. They take care of the little children. They, they've been built for what they are. Uh, this is just some other things. Did you know women see more colors than men do? Men see more of the primary colors, red, yellow, black, and white. Women see... A plethora of color. They see tangerine and periwinkle and lavender and fuchsia and colors that guys wouldn't even want to say. And you say, well, why why is that? This is because if you've studied, you know, anything about the physical body, women, of course, have the two X chromosomes, colors determined by the X chromosome. They have two. Men have one. Did you know that most men, not always, but most men have much better long-range long range vision than a woman? But women have better peripheral vision. But when you put the two together, you got perfect, perfect vision. You see how God, how he op, he's wanting us to operate in this? He wants us to understand that he built us different, but when you put it together... It takes everything to a much higher level. Because I'm telling you, God knew what he was doing when he made a woman. One day I was, I was going to teach a ladies thing. I, I can't remember exactly what was going on, but I was thinking about how, what a gift that, that Eve was to Adam, you know. God gave him this beautiful gift, and he did. But the Lord said, I didn't just give Adam a wife. I gave the world a woman because that touch had to be here for it to be perfect and to be the way it was supposed to be. And that's why women are created so, um, they're just different. They're great jurors. Did you know that? They're better jurors than men. Because women can assess nonverbal movement better than men. They can watch the way someone looks or smiles or their body language, and they can know that something's not right with them. And it's because God wants them to be more sensitive. So, and, and so why is this? Because your wife can bring things to you, information, especially when you're making decisions, that will help you make a better decision than what you're about to do as a leader. Because they just see things differently. They, they see things with a different perspective. So it's very important that you listen to what your wife has to say. Because I'm telling you, they know things. They know things. So...
1: Step here yeah. let's talk about uh just just some details uh, about how this this flows the different the top three needs of men and women you might want to write these down okay man's top needs and i think these line up with the bible too uh, and then woman's woman's top three needs for men number one men need honor and respect you know uh men and women we talked about how that when they come together they connect differently and men and i've noticed this i do this a lot I meet somebody and I'm having a conversation and invariably, a lot of the time they know what I do. I'm a preacher because I'm in their church. But all I want to know, I say, what do you do? And that's a man thing. Why? We find our identity in what we put our hand to do. What do you do? What do you do? You know, That's a man deal. And God put that in you. We want honor and respect and more than anybody you want, anybody's respect, you want your wives. And when women don't respect their man, and no man's perfect, of course, but they need that respect when they don't feel like they had that from their wife. It's very injurious to a man. It hurts. So that's number one. Men need honor and respect. Number two, men need companionship. They get married because they want somebody to hang hang out and live life with. They want a partner. I know there's, I you know, sometimes I want Trudy around, even if we're not talking a lot, just to have her near. I, that's, I need that. I need that partner in life that, 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 that we're, we're one we'll talk about that later but companionship's a big thing and then the number three need for men is sex that's a driving force in the life of a man now interestingly enough on the woman's list this came in number 14 <laughs> after gardening really bothered me when I heard that Although it did make me more interested in gardening, but, <laughs> you know, I read this survey. Do you know, they've discovered that uh, the days that men like to make love begin with a T. You didn't know that, I bet. Tuesday, Thursdays. Today, tomorrow. <laughs> Tatterday and Sunday. I'll start with a T. See, sex is a driving thing for a man. Do you know when a little baby boy is born that he be, he begins to produce a seed? The man carries the seed. And until he's an old man and dies, a man continues to produce new seed. A little baby girl carries the egg. When she's born, she gets all the eggs she'll ever have. Sex speaks to a man's need to reproduce himself. You know, uh, statistics say within two years after a man retires, he dies. That's an average. It, does, it shouldn't be that way. But retirement shouldn't just be, well, I quit. I'm not going to do anything else. My dad did that. He was a farmer, and he worked hard all his life, and then came the day for retirement, and he didn't know what to do with himself. He had no more vision for life. So, but, See, I believe this. No matter how old you get, you still should be putting your hand to doing something as a man. So that's a big deal for men. Now, uh, for women, it's not that women don't like sex, but they crave affection and attention as much as a man does sex, and that's the way God designed that to work. So that's the top three for men. You want to say anything? Am I doing all right?
2: Uh, on the affection thing, that's why the communication is so important for a woman. They they just need to feel like you care about them and their heart, because you know if if, if it just gets to where you're doing your own thing, and you just want her to fulfill your need, but you're not fulfilling her need for affection. That just is like prostitution. You know, there's no, there's no relationship in that. Because women, you know, they did some testing, and they said that women, they, they really do crave affection from you and attention and listening as much as you crave sex. And once they put a, they said they put a testosterone patch on a lady, you know, let her see how it felt. She says, I don't ever want to go through that again. <laughs> but my point is this. In marriage, you've got to be, you know, you've got to work on the areas that are important to your your, your spouse. Sometimes it gets all about what you want. But, but we've got to stay in this place where we care about each other and meeting each other's needs too. And that just makes it really good then because then when you're, real affectionate with her then the everything else goes up to a higher level so it's it's all good
1: yeah we like everything else okay uh, <laughs> okay that's men's top three top three for a woman number one security women get married because they want to know they're going to be taken care of and that's not a bad thing doesn't mean they're less than a man they're not uh, i think you can see we're not saying that they're not as smart it's just in their dna And you know, when you think about this, the number one need for men is honor and respect. Women are to submit. That's speaking of honor and respecting. And then men are to what? Love their wives. And love is not just, oh, baby, come here, I love you. You know, the word love in the Hebrew actually means I will give. It's found in sacrifice. And the greatest scripture in the history of the Bible, John 3, 16, tells you, for God so loved the world. You know, God's in heaven, and he sees the world's in a mess, and we were. And he loved the world. But he just didn't say, go, world. I hope you do okay. I'm for you, world. No, he acted. God, so, I love that it says in the King James, "God so, it doesn't just say he loved the world. He said he loved, so loved the world. Isn't that awesome? He so loved the world. What did he do? He gave his only begotten son. He gave his best. He sacrificed. It cost him something. And if you're going to have a good marriage, it's going to cost you something. Amen. That's what love is all about. So, security. Number two, women need communication. And we've plowed that out on a whole different level than men like to sometimes give. It's not enough if you come home and your wife says, what did you do today, honey? Worked. (laughs) She needs more than that, okay? And then number three, women need leadership. They want to know, where are we going in this deal? What's... You know, what's our next step? My wife has asked me that many times. (laughs) See, So let's go over them again. Men, honor and respect, companionship, sex. Women, security, communication, leadership. Now, do you see the similarities in these? No! (laughs) There's no similarities. We're totally different. Did God do that, though, just to frustrate us? No. He did it so when you come together and learn to honor each other and bond with your differences it'll take you to a new level. Let me give you a couple of examples of this. You've heard of periodic table of the elements, chemistry term, which states different elements, raw elements, when they come together and bond, everybody say bond, they create a brand new life that, that was not there before. See, it's like uh, so, uh, salt is one uh, atom sodium, one atom chloride creates salt. And you have to have salt to live in your body. You know, you can have too much, but you need salt. Well, so let's say you know that. So you say, well, I'm just going to take a little bit of sodium, a little bit of chloride. Apart from each other, they're toxic and they can kill you. And that's what happens to a lot of marriages because they don't bond. Tox, they become toxic and they want to murder each other. And two people that love each other, that don't understand some things, can beat each, beat each other's throats. But it just means we got to work on this thing. It's something we have to honor and respect and work on. Uh, I'll give you another example. Men and women, you got to understand, we don't go to Walmart the same. No. You know, I, okay, let's, you're a guy, okay? You're a guy, and it's Saturday morning. You want to do something a guy would do, which is go to Walmart, and you're going to look for some truck tires. And so you're, you're getting ready, and, and you're this, you know, this is your, your leading. You're going to do this today. And your wife comes in, and this is the way women are. She says, first of all, she asks questions. What are you doing? And immediately you get a little offended. Well, I'm putting on clothes. And why are you putting on clothes, honey? Well, don't want to be naked. You know, what do you mean? Yes, but, but are you going somewhere? Yeah, I'm going to go somewhere. Where are you going? Well, I'm going down the store. What store are you going to? Well, she wants details. Well, I'm going to Walmart. Oh, and see when see women visualize all these things. Whenever you're telling her these things, she's her mind is thinking. And and when you say Walmart, she knows Walmart, man. She loves Walmart. She's memorized the store. She sees you. See, she she sees you driving in, getting out of your truck, going into Walmart. She sees all this. Why are you going to Walmart, honey? Well, I'm going to buy some truck tires. She may not know a lot about truck tires, but she knows where they are in Walmart. And she sees you go back there and look at truck tires, and then she sees new cars, and she's visualizing all this. She sees new tires on your truck, and she's going to get satisfaction. Even though she's not there with you, she gets satisfaction in knowing what you've been doing and all the details. But if you don't watch it, you get frustrated, and you say, Woman, why are you asking me so many questions? You're so nosy, and you storm out of the house, and you hurt her feelings, and you're all man and frustrated, and you don't understand this is just the way you're thinking. And you have to honor the way you think. It's like also, uh, you'll understand this, we're in Texas, glory to God. You understand wh- what, it, what shotgun means, right? See, shotgun, uh, we call, I'm sure even today, we did this when I was growing up, you call shotgun uh, whenever you're going somewhere, and shotgun was a prime seat. It's the best seat. In my 63 Ford, you know, we used it's funny, we used to put six or eight guys in that thing and drive to town, and, was, and we'd say, you know, why are you going to town? We're going to go look for women. Yeah, I'm 14 years old looking for women. And the funny thing about that is we didn't have room to put one in there if we found one. <laughs> full of guys. But shotgun, is a, it means you're in the prime seat up front with the driver. And, and that goes back to stagecoach days. Do you know that? Now, we did some, uh, at Willie George's ministry, we did Gospel Bill Show, but we did a couple of Western movies. We had Kenneth Copeland in, in, in a couple of them, and Jesse Duplantis was there, and Jerry Savelle was in one, I think. But uh, when we did that, we, we kind of ratcheted things up, and we went outdoors, and we, uh, you know, we got more authentic costumes, and, and, uh, and, and we had a stagecoach at one of our shoots one day. In fact, a guy from Houston brought a stagecoach down. Uh, uh, Tom Lanza. You may know Tom Lanza. You know him? Yeah. He brought a stagecoach in. And, well, I was riding uh, with Tom on the stagecoach, and, and he was showing me how you drive a stagecoach, four-horse teams, uh, four horse team. And uh, do you know to drive four horses as the driver, you put reins, but like you got got reins for that front horse between these fingers and then between. And you manipulate. You, you have to learn to manipulate each horse, you know, pull this one back. So you have to get good. But my point is if you're driving a stagecoach, you have to focus on the journey. We're talking about men and women. Man's like the designated driver of the stagecoach. And, uh, you know, you've got to watch the road. Back in old west days, you, you, you didn't have paved roads, of course. You're going down rough terrain. You're on a stagecoach for a long time. And you've got to be focused on your destination where you're going. And that's why they had a person that was shotgun. Set up front with them. But shotgun had a weapon, of course. That's why they call it shotgun. But shotgun have, had a different perspective, See, they could turn around. They didn't have to watch the road. They had a strong box. You're carrying valuable things, valuable cargo. You're carrying people in the stagecoach, money, mail. And so it was very important because there were attacks that would come. And shotgun had a whole different perspective and could warn, oh, look, uh, 3 o'clock, we got, we got bandits coming over here, you know. I seized things that the stagecoach driver couldn't see. And that's the way marriage is designed to work. See, you're different. When we learn to bond and honor each other Everybody say honor Honor the giftings in each other Then we'll go to a brand new level Now here's the last thing I want to say You can't do this with just two No matter how good you are No matter how many principles you work It'll help you But the marriage was not designed for just two it's designed for three You and your spouse and the Holy Spirit You know Trudy and I We had, I mentioned this morning, we had a lot of trouble. We loved each other, but we didn't know how to get along at all. And we have learned some things over the years. But the major thing that happened to us that rocked our world is when Jesus came into our marriage. And we honored him, and we honored the the Holy Spirit. You know, there is an anointing to be married. And let's look look at Genesis one more time. Go to Genesis chapter, uh, back to chapter 2. Let's see, I don't want that. It says when, uh, when Eve was brought to Adam. I mean, get a picture of this. Uh, God made this woman. It said he brought her unto the man. You know, this, is like, this was a marriage ceremony. And the Father brought his bride to him. The Father chose his bride, for one thing, and brought her. It's like a presentation. Really, uh, the things we do in the wedding are pictures of, of our relationship with God in that day in the Garden of Eden. You know this better than me. You want to talk about something?
2: Uh, how much time have I got? <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's, you know, the, the father brings the, the bride. And uh, one of the things I learned about Jewish uh, customs is when the bride would come up, she would circle the groom seven times, which meant she was going to watch his heart. She was going to surround him. But it also meant that creation was uh, done in six days with, sev- you know, the seventh to rest It represented, we're going to build a whole new world together. We're going to build build our worlds now. Also, the dress that she wore, all brides wear uh, a white dress, represented the glory of God. She was a gift. Um, When Jesus was uh, at Passover, this is another picture of it, at Passover, if you really study out the whole Passover, it was a covenant that he was making with the bride and even in the garden let me just give you a little uh tip about this uh when the the bri- when the groom made a, a covenant with the 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 father of the bride they had a, a contract a covenant they wrote up and and the bride was very very expensive i mean you didn't get this girl unless you paid her father a lot for her so they negotiated this and then they came together and they called it the cup. They drank a cup of covenant. But many times before he went ahead and signed the covenant or drank the cup, he would go back to his own father and say, Wow, this girl costs a lot of money. She, she's costly. I, I don't know. You know. Do you think she's worth it, Dad? Father, do you think she's worth it? And if the father said, yeah, I think she is, then he'd go back and he'd drink the cup. When Jesus was in the garden, remember that point where he says to the father, boy, this cup I'm about to drink, is costly. But he said, Lord, may this pass for me. This, this, she's expensive. But the father said, no, she's worth it drink the cup and he did that's a picture of the love the sacrifice of the husband but then the bride she had her point her part too you know he said I'm going to go away and I'm going to build you a place but I promise you I'll come back I promise I'll be back and so she waits and after that it, 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 this is so cool she's called the one that was bought with a price everywhere she went and she put a veil on from that moment and she was not seen again in public because she wanted everybody to know, I am taken. I'm not on the market. I'm taken. And then she would wait, and she'd have her, her, her uh, dress ready. She'd have everything ready because she didn't know at what moment the groom would come. But the one thing she had to do, she had to keep a light burning in the window that meant the fire of my love is burning for you. Now, if the bridegroom came and the light was out, he went away. So she had a responsibility to wear the veil, be holy, I'm taken. I don't belong to the world anymore. I keep the light burning, watching for the groom all the time. And then suddenly, and and this is what happens in Israel. I don't know if you've been there, but it's so cool. They, They usually have weddings on a Tuesday a lot of times because that's the day that in Genesis it said, God looked, and it was good, and it was good. He said it twice that day. So there's supposed to be a double blessing on that day. But you do not know when he's coming. And then all of a sudden, the father says, you can go get her. And one of the reasons he doesn't allow him to go get the bride is because he didn't want him to just throw a shack up for the for the girl. She, he has to build something that's really nice and beautiful because he's bringing the bride to this. But when the, when the father says, it's done, you, you can go get her. Then in the middle of the night, they rush in and they kidnap her. And they, she, they, they blow a horn, and it gives her just enough time to get the curlers out of her hair and get her stuff ready to go. <laughs> and then he swoops in and he kidnaps her, and then they go celebrate for seven days on the honeymoon. But it's a picture of Christ in the church. But it's also a picture of marriage and the love and the covenant You know, when I think about him saying, I promise, I promise I'll be back. I don't doubt that for a minute, do you? He's going to be back. And he said, I do. But a lot of times in marriage we say, I do, but then we don't. We have to go back to the things we promised each other and to God because it's one of the most holy, wonderful things in the world. There is no person on earth that you're one with except your spouse. The only other relationship like that is your relationship with Jesus Christ where you're one with him. This is a holy, holy thing. And we can't treat it with familiarity, and that's one of the biggest things that happen to us is we get familiar with the people that we love and with the gifts that we've been given. And we have to always treat it as something precious and treat it just like Christ treats the church and the church should treat
1: so I'll close with this. Verse 23, Genesis 2. When, when God brought the bride, look at what Adam does. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. I think he threw a hubba, hubba, hubba in there too. Whoa, he liked her. She's bone of my bone. The bones are the strength of your body, right? It's your inner strength. That's really what a wife is. She's the hidden strength of a man. That's what this is saying. She shall be called, whoa, man. I don't know if he said it like that or not. And that's an old joke, but I said, woman, because she was taken out of the man. Therefore, he makes this declaration, shall a man leave his father and mother. Things change. So There's still your mom and dad, but you leave and you cleave unto your wife. Now, that word cleave actually means this. It means to be welded together. And I learned this growing up in Texas about welding. I welded in high school. If something is, is welded properly, it's a joining of two pieces, of, different pieces of metal, but they're, now they're joined. And if it's done right, the joint will sustain more stress than any other piece of the metal. They literally become one. In the eyes of God, when you made that commitment, you become one with your spouse. It says cleave. In other words, you've got to work on keeping this holy. you got to work on, this is a big, this is the biggest deal next to your relationship with Jesus. This comes before your job. This comes before your kids. We love our kids. Talked about kids this morning. But, you know, there were times when my children were growing up, I would sit them down when they would sass their mama, and we'd have a discussion, and we would set things in order. And as a father, and I did this when they were little, I'd sit them down and say, you don't talk to your mama that way. You understand? Because she comes even before you. Now, I love you. You're my child. You always will be. But you're going to act right in this house, and you're going to talk right to her. And if you don't like that, then you don't have to live here. That may be tough for a five year old to hear, but you got to be strong. (laughs) You know what I'm saying. It's a holy thing. The devil hates your marriage. We ran a seminar not too long ago. There's a prophet of God there, and he's, he prophesied this over. And I'm going to tell you this because I believe this is going to happen tonight as we close. He said, as you go out and teach, he said, I see the anointing coming on people, and it's like a heavenly glue is flowing over them, a man and a woman, a couple. And it's like this glue, and, it's, and it sticks them together in a brand new, special way by the anointing of God. Now I believe that can happen tonight for you. I believe there's a spiritual impartation amen, that you can get for your marriage tonight. So here's what I want to do as we close tonight. I want you, if you're married, take the hand of your spouse, if you want to participate in this, and stand on your feet tonight. Amen. And I want you to take your spouse's hand. All right, you you got that? Amen. We're going to pray, and I'm going to believe for a fresh new anointing for your marriage, for what you're called to do in life, for your vocation for your career for your money how many could use more money amen for your health uh, strength for your your wisdom for your for your future close your eyes father in the name of jesus you said in your word "It, it is the anointing that destroys the yoke and lord i just pray tonight now there we've heard some things we need to apply but there's also an anointing to be married there was an anointing that came on Adam and Eve that day. And I pray now for each couple that's standing for the anointing, the touch of God, as I just wave my hand. I thank you for that anointing flowing over them. I, I see heavenly glue touching each of their lives. And they're going to leave here even more romantically inclined. Just that They're going to be, be stirred up about each other in a brand new, fresh way. I thank you for fresh new ideas. Even people that have been married a long time. Thank you for freshness and life. I speak life to your marriage. Now lift your hands up and receive it in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now you be seated. If there's some people here tonight, young people, maybe older people, you say, Brother Ken, I I want the right. Uh, mate for my future i'm believing god for a mate that's a godly thing to do god wants to give you your your mate is your gift and and if you desire a mate you know the bible talks about there are some that have a gift not to be married and and you say well how do i know i have that gift well if you're attracted to the opposite sex you don't have that gift no great revelation there okay but if you if you desire that that's a good thing and so if you are believing God for the right mate tonight, be you young, be you old, whatever, stand up on your feet. We're going to pray for you too. Amen. Amen. You pray, honey. Amen.
2: Father, we just thank you for these precious people, Lord. Lord, we thank you for uh, your plan for their life. We thank you that even from before they were born, you, you had someone in their life that you wanted to cross paths with them, a good Christian, Lord. Many of these people here, their parents have prayed for them, their grandparents have prayed for them, that they would meet the right person. And Lord, I thank you that even tonight, by your spirit and by your guidance and by your word, that these people will be directed and that the angels of God will even cause them to come across the path of the right person in their life. Lord, I pray for a discernment and a sensitivity that if anybody should come into their life that would take them away from Jesus or in any way be the wrong person for them, Lord, that you would quickly give them a stirring in their spirit and a knowing, Lord. But we also just pray and give you honor tonight because it is your will that they find the right person so that they can obey what you said in Genesis, that they can uh, be fruitful, multiply, and have dominion in this earth and raise children for you and be a blessing To uh, all that's around them. So we thank you tonight for your anointing on them, your discernment on them, and your direction on them in the name of Jesus. Amen.
1: Hallelujah. Amen. You may be seated. Do you like this tonight? Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for allowing us to come, Pastor. It's great to get to know you better and love your church. And man, I think I could come preach in this church every weekend. (laughs) You guys are awesome. Thank you.
3: Amen. Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, why don't we just plan to have them back every second, second weekend in August from now until Jesus comes back. How about that? So just go ahead and put it on your calendar. Every sec, second week in August. Every second week in August from now until the rapture. Glory to God. We're going we're gonna to have them. Amen. Amen. Isn't that good? Now, we're going to receive an offering tonight, but... First of all, let me explain to you, you have, been, you have just been saved thousands of dollars, tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars in marriage counseling, amen, I mean you got a bargain discount tonight, just saved you an enormous amount of money, I guarantee you it did, and so we want to be a blessing, amen, and give, and do it the right way. And so, praise God, if you're given by cash, lift your hand up. They'll bring you an offering envelope. If you're making out a check, just make it out to Island Church. And we want to make sure that they're abundantly blessed, sent forth blessed uh, from Island Church. I'm telling you, it's the truth. And get their material and study and work. You know, marriage is work. You've got to work on it. You have to work on it. If you just think it's going to happen and, you know, the feelings you have before you get married are going to carry you through a marriage, you're wrong. They will not carry you through a marriage. Uh, it will be good if they get you through the honeymoon. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they may or may not. I don't know. Praise God. But you'll find out real quick that feelings are not any type of foundation. You have to learn. There's so much you have to learn in a marriage. And some, I know a lot of people have heard this term before We, since Lee and I have pastored and had to deal with couples in crisis that the feelings are gone. Well, I want you to know the feelings being gone are no sign that a marriage is over. They're no sign that a marriage is over. Because feelings come, feelings go. But I want you to know when God knits two people together in their heart, then you learn to live together. And this is so good, so rich tonight, so needed. And uh glory to God. We may even extend this uh next year or the next couple of years to where we can go uh maybe a, a whole weekend or a, and and do a do something and and uh, because people need it, I tell you. And it's a great blessing. You ready to give tonight? Hold up your your offerings. Let's say this. Father, thank you for what we heard tonight. We receive it by faith. Thank you, Father. Our marriages are strengthened. We're blessed. Our walk with God is strengthened and helped. Our walk with each other is strengthened and helped. Today, our families are blessed. Thank you, Father. We receive it in
0: Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that you enjoyed the message. We invite you to join us at our weekly services here at Island Church. Sunday morning service at 8.30 a.m., John Patrol. Sunday school at 10 a.m. Sunday mid-morning service at 10.45 a.m. Sunday night service at 7 p.m. Tuesday night prayer at 7.30 p.m. Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. We are located at 2411 69th Street, Galveston, Texas. You can contact us by phone at 409-770-9113. We look forward to seeing you there.